0: Welcome everybody to episode 23 of the Ascent of Board Games, also known as the Plague Times. As you might have gathered from our last couple episodes sounding relatively normal, those were all recorded before the coronavirus lockdown. If you're listening to us in the far future and you don't know what you're talking about, it's just a bad time. Nobody's going anywhere. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria.
1: I think if you're listening to us in the future time, congratulations, you've made it.
0: (laughs) Yay, humanity survived. So we are now recording from our respective homes on the far corners of the Atlanta multiplex. And basically, we wanted to get together and talk about what we've been doing gaming-wise to try and stay sane. Obviously, since this is kind of a weird time in the world, it's also going to be a slightly weird episode. We don't really have a theme other than gaming stuff you can do when you're not in the same room with a bunch of people you want to game with.
2: Yeah, it's been a little weird. This is actually the first episode we've recorded since early March. We've been using our backlog and running through it. So it's like, oh, crap, we're finally out. Okay, let's do something. So this is kind of structured a little bit like, oh, crap, we have to do something.
0: Don't tell everybody we don't have a plan. We're supposed to seem like we have a plan. Obviously, people who care about audio quality will have noticed that we probably don't sound nearly as good. That is because all of our really nice microphones and stuff are currently sitting in boxes around Joe's dining room table. So we're all recording on various headsets and other local things. So we apologize that our dulcet tones are not as sweet as they usually are. So what have people been doing (laughs) during the Great Plague lockdown? Well, I think we can all say, without a doubt,
1: that Tabletop Simulator has been a godsend unto digital board gaming everywhere.
0: You're not Um, wrong.
1: I've been using this program for a while now to play... My favorite game ever, Arkham Horror OCG. But I have introduced others to it now, and I I think you have all taken a liking to it. What are your thoughts on Tabletop Sim?
0: I mean, it's a really good engine for stuff. It has some quirks because it is fundamentally a physics simulator. So if you pick up a meeple and you move it in such a way that it knocks into another meeple, the other meeple will fall over. It's usually pretty good about picking up things to a certain height so you can move them around. But the key is really how well someone has scripted the game. For things like Gloomhaven, there's some really excellent Gloomhaven setups out there where you can basically say, all right, here are our four characters and we're playing scenario six and hit a button and it will lay out the maps and the furniture and the terrain and the monsters and set everything up for you, which can be a huge time saver. Part of the fun of Tabletop Simulator, especially when you're doing a new game, is figuring out how the scripting is intended to work. <laughs> um, we were messing around with a couple different versions of Terraforming Mars, and it's like, I think this is really good, but I have no idea what they want this button to do.
3: Oh yeah, so. the thing that threw me there first is uh, when you have hidden information, the mm-hmm. little transparency blocks, First time I saw that, I'm like, "What is going on here? I don't understand." And then I pushed the button, and he disappeared. I'm like, "Oh, I get it. Okay, I follow yeah. now."
2: Yeah, we couldn't get into Tabletop Simulator. It's kind of weird. I mean, we could run it, but just the physics engine and the having to deal with the interface killed it for us.
3: You definitely need someone to kind of steward you through it. I had Mike, who is obsessed with (laughs) Arkham Horror, and had every intention of making sure I knew how to play properly.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's
1: one of those things where it's like, this is a thing that requires patience, but once you get the controls down, it's actually really good.
4: Nope, 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 (laughs) nope, you're wrong. (laughs) It is learnable, it is not good. Wow, okay. Okay, Uh, (laughs) elaborate, Joe. The UI is garbage, <laughs> the interactions are nonsensical, because it is a physics simulator, like, it doesn't care what you want. It's not trying to let you have fun, it's trying to simulate whatever you want to play. It sure, is-
1: so it, it is not a digital implementation of the game that you are playing, That that is true.
0: Yeah, if you don't know the rules of the game you're trying to play, it tabletop will, not tabletop will not help you. <laughs>
1: But like I said, it is, I think it is really nice once you get some of the controls down. Like you can hover your mouse over, say, a deck of cards and just hit a button and it will randomize the cards in that stack. Now you do have to kind of understand how objects within the engine interact with each other. For example, if you drop a card onto a deck, it will automatically incorporate that card into that deck, whether you want that or not.
0: Yeah, and it's not just cards. It's like if you drop a token into a deck of cards, that token may get shuffled into the deck of cards. Or a card may get randomized into your bag of meeples. So it does not always distinguish between one object and another. I would agree that the UI is not great, but given the number of different things that it has to simulate in order to make all kinds of tabletop games playable... I don't know that there's a better way to do it because you have to handle cards and dice and tokens and boards and you can't really strictly lock down where a thing can go on a board because you need to move stuff around. So I think it's probably the best that can be done.
4: Yeah, my big problem with it is like if you approach it as a person who has never touched tabletop simulator really before and you need to learn it, it requires a lot of patience and they don't really care about helping you. As yeah, a- The learning
0: curve is very steep.
1: Uh, that being said, did any of y'all actually go through the in game tutorial that teaches you all the things
3: I did it's okay. I mean they're trying. Hmm. I'd gone through it like months ago and completely forgotten it all by the time I started using it again. That's fair.
2: We spent more time with tabletopia, which was pretty infuriating, even <laughs> I mean, you you can play simple games with it. Simple games work as soon as you get to more complex games. you start running into problems of oh crap, I dropped that token. it went under the set of cards or You know, Mm -hmm. when the set of cards or wait, I need to, how do I, and there was so much of that, the actual fun part of playing the game, (laughs) Uh, except for, again, very simple games. It's kind of gone.
0: Yeah, you can certainly get some of that with uh, Tabletop Simulator as well. That said, we've been using it a fair bit. Me, Mike, Joe, and friend of the show, John, went through a whole campaign of Rise of Queensdale which Frank had recommended a while back. And I had gotten a physical copy and it's like, hey, this is going to be something we're going to play soon. And then COVID happened. By the end of that, I think we were all pretty proficient in moving around and getting stuff done and that kind of thing. Quite like the game.
2: Wow, that's pretty impressive. That That is a lot of bits.
0: Yeah, yeah no, it, it worked really well. Rise of Kindle was fun. really good. Yeah, I will
4: agree that like when a tabletop simulator simulation setup is highly automated, it does some really nice things. Like it it makes the play experience pretty reasonable. Rise of Queensdale was the example of where a simulation was very reasonable.
0: Yeah, the scripting in that was extremely good. And that's the one kind of downside of, uh, I won't say downside, limitation of Tabletop Simulator. It is mostly fan content driven. So it's going to be a question of how well does someone simulate these things and script it and do they understand the rules the way you understand the rules.
1: Now, the interesting thing about that is,
0: A lot of the really good content on TTS is all
1: fan-made simulations and is not exactly backed by all of the companies, but man, if you compare something like Terraforming Mars on Tabletop Simulator, just hands down better than the actual digital implementation of Terraforming Mars, which is hot garbage.
0: Yeah, that is certainly a thing. There's a certain number of people who really get how tabletop simulator works and are good at scripting things. And then a lot of times, yeah, they are better than digital implementations. It is questionable from an intellectual property standpoint in some cases. That said, what a lot of companies have been doing, especially over the past couple months as the lockdown has been happening, is they've been putting sort of prototypes or works in progress, things like that. A lot of the games that are now in the Kickstarter life cycle are out there with various examples. Like there's uh, several scenarios from Frosthaven, the upcoming sequel to Gloomhaven, have been implemented and scripted with the full blessing of the designers. There is a prototype of Oath from Letter Games that is out there, you know, to let people play test that actively. I think there's something for A Thousand One Odyssey. So a lot of upcoming games have sort of embraced this as a way to get people playing and play testing their game when there isn't a physical version.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really smart decision on their part, where it's like, hey, we have this game that's in development. We need to play test it. Let's put a emulation out of it. Get a bunch of feedback and then make changes for the physical implementation. That's really smart. That extends a hand out to the community that not all other companies are taking advantage of.
0: We talked about that a little bit before we started recording. Mike, since you're such a fan of the Arkham Horror LCG, I understand there have been some events uh, in the (laughs) LCG. And and
1: (laughs) in all honesty, it's not just that. Asmodee has... I think recently discovered that Tabletop Simulator and other Tabletop emulators are a thing that exists.
4: Well, more accurately, their execs have discovered it. (laughs)
1: Sure. They have done everything in their ability to make sure that people understand that they can still give them money, which I get, like, no matter what I say here, no matter what anyone says, the argument could always come down to, yeah, but money, which sure, if that's how you want to run your company, more power to you. But man. I mean, to,
4: to be fair, Mike, all companies purposes are to make profits so they can continue making the things that you love. Yeah, right? like, but
1: customer goodwill is a thing that exists and like they are doing their best to make sure that people really hate them.
4: Yeah, <laughs> but here's the question, though. Have you stopped buying their products? Because right? like, that's the way you punish a company. I have,
1: because they've stopped producing things.
4: <laughs> well, but sure, but like that is immaterial. Tomorrow, if they release something new for Arkham Horror, would you purchase it? Because right? I mean, if, cause if so, you would, then then you know what they have done? Nothing. They so have here, done nothing to affect the way you consume their content. Their if they content. continue
1: down the path that they are going on, where they're just like, hey, people we hate you like stop being a contributing member of our game then yeah maybe because like what will eventually happen is a company can push their customer base to the point where it's like wow i'm just not going to support that behavior anymore with my wallet and they are quickly moving to that point
0: can i provide an instructive historical example sure About 10 years ago, there was a big kerfuffle between Games Workshop and Board Game Geek. Basically, people had discovered that there were a lot of play aids and fan-made scenarios and various things, you know, and files on Board Game Geek and Games Workshop's executives sort of discovered this or had it brought to their attention. They're like, no, no, this is all our intellectual property. You have to take down all of this stuff. And there was a huge backlash from that sort of thing because honestly, these are people who are creating tools to make it easier for other people to buy and enjoy your games. And it was actually several years before I think the new leadership of Games Workshop has sort of turned around and is encouraging more of that kind of thing again. And it's a night and day change in the way they are perceived by their customer base. And I think Asmodee hasn't learned from that.
2: But also, Games Workshop started basically producing games again. Nintendo
1: ran into something similar with Twitch a couple of years ago, where they they were like, "Hey, people, stop putting our stuff on Twitch," and I think at some point they realized, oh, wait, that's just free advertisement that makes more people want to play our game. Oh, oh, you know what? Here's a bunch of stuff to make up for us being really (laughs) terrible to the community.
4: Well, allow me to play devil's advocate here. I think Tabletop Simulator is a little different. Tabletop Simulator exists in this really weird gray area where functionally MP3 downloading existed (laughs) a couple of years ago right where 10 years ago i guess good lord i'm old i'm so old (laughs) shut Um, your mouth (laughs) all of us here i don't download any game where either i or one of my friends don't own a copy it's like i how i choose to interact with tabletop simulator but there are wide swaths of people who just get it on tabletop simulator and there's a lot of reasons why you would do that One, it's free. (laughs) One, it's free. Two, if you're playing with friends who don't live in the same physical space as you, Tabletop Simulator makes that possible. I would imagine, and I haven't seen any actual numbers, but I would imagine there's a a fair number of people who get games on Tabletop Simulator, don't buy the physical copies, and just play it there because it's free. Um, Sure, but that's not
1: what I'm arguing because, like, yes, I know that it is illegal, but what i'm saying is they are handling how they are dealing with that situation really poorly for example if they had said hey everybody we understand that during the the corona quarantine that like sure play this and then after this quarantine ends send out a bunch of cease and desist order like you you know what i'm saying it's like i feel like their timing is really bad they haven't provided literally any, well, <laughs> they did provide one alternative, but it was <laughs> equally as tone deaf as the rest of their reaction to this. That, that's what I'm saying. It's not that they don't have a right to say, hey, stop it. I feel like as a company, they're making a really poor choice to when and how they're telling their community to stop. And that, oh, I think that, I think, is really important. And because they are being so crummy about it, I think it, it seriously will impact how their customers consume their product moving forward. Now, you are right. They have a monopoly on things like Arkham Horror and like let's face it, Asmodee has a monopoly on almost everything board game these
0: days, but
1: yeah. that shouldn't give them the prerogative to be totally shitty to their community. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think there will be repercussions on that. I think, like Joe said, it's something where somebody in a boardroom somewhere heard that, hey, there are people online playing our game without giving us any money. And it's, what outrageous, have the ball removed? And I think that will come back to bite them on some level at some point. I'm a reasonably successful person that doesn't have any kids, so I have a fair bit of disposable income. So, you know, if I'm playing a game on Tabletop Simulator, I probably either already own it, or if I like it, I'm going to buy a physical copy to have it. I realize that not everybody is in that position. But I think encouraging people to use this, especially in scenario during games like Frosthaven and that sort of thing, it's hard to say, well, here's four scenarios. If you like what this does, here is a big box full of more that you can buy. Yeah.
1: And like, there are companies who have, I think, handled it well. So take, who does uh, Terraforming Mars? Is that... Stronghold. Uh, Stronghold. 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 So, So on Tabletop Simulator, they have sent out cease and desist orders for expansion material for Terraforming Mars, but they've left base material. So you can play base Terraforming Mars on Tabletop Simulator, but if you want the expansion stuff, which for Terraforming Mars, you want the expansion stuff, Mm -hmm. you can buy a physical copy i think it's a great tool for companies to be like hey try out our game and if you like it go buy it
0: yeah i think ultimately the best solution might be some sort of licensing thing where you could pay some nominal fee like pay a dollar and now you have rights to this terraforming mars expansion
4: they have that it's their dlc program for for Tabletop Simulator. Oh wow, I've
0: I've actually never run into
1: that. There are some companies who have done licensed material through Tabletop Simulator. It is not- For Steam, yeah. Not many have taken advantage of that, but like, if games that I like to play did that, I would absolutely throw
0: money at them. Sure, I am happy to pay for content.
1: The problem is, a lot of these companies really don't stand to gain any profits by releasing a digital implementation. But here's my argument to that is like, there are so many digital implementations out there that just recreate the wheel for no reason. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. The company that they've got doing the Greater Than Games digital implementations, they do a fantastic job.
4: Like for Uh reference, that company's is Handelabra Games.
1: Sure. Handelabra Games does fantastic. I would highly recommend that if you like Greater Than Games, go buy all of the Handle (laughs) game implementations because they are great.
2: Yeah, as far as responses to COVID and online, Plaid Hat did an amazing thing.
0: Is this the Forgotten Waters app? Yeah, totally. That looks super cool. What is this? I haven't heard about this. So basically,
2: Plat Hat, who divorced from Asmodee, Ooh. basically bought their company back, which is awesome. So we can buy Plaid Hat games again. Mr. Bistro and Jerry Hawthorne did a game called Forgotten Waters. That's kind of a bit like Gen 7, but improved. Only good. Yeah, only good. And it's almost a party game with some Tales of Arabian Nights things going on. Basically, what they did is they thought about it. Their CTO kind of pondered and said, I think we can rig together something that could allow online play with a single copy. He then burnt about four weeks, basically working on just a web app, propping up something that provides enough to play. Did a kind of semi-open beta, which I was a part of. And we've played a couple games with it so far. And it's really good. I bought a copy just because they were supporting online play and going to that effort.
0: Yeah, I saw a stream, the guys from Shut Up and Sit Down had a stream on Twitch where they were playing it with the designers over Zoom or something like that using the app, and it looks extremely well put together. That's what actually sold me a copy. So, yeah, totally. Uh, game publishers, if you're listening, do remote stuff and we will give you money.
3: I back a lot of Kickstarters, unsurprisingly. COVID's kind of wreaked havoc on all of the production cycles of every, I mean, we're going to be hearing Kickstarters saying, oh, well, COVID caused this delay for like the next 10 years, probably, <laughs> you're not but... One of the nice things is a lot of these designers have embraced Tabletop Simulator as a way of continuing development within their teams while they're all working from home. And some of them even brought in backers to start trying to uh, troubleshoot them and kind of just test the games out, which as a backer myself, I find awesome, right? The more of this that we can get community involvement in, the better, as far as I'm concerned. And a lot of them, you know, I think you mentioned 1001 Odysseys. They've even put up their demos that they run at conventions. Lord knows when we'll have those again, mm-hmm. but it allows you to play those as well, right? So you can get a taste of the games. And if they can do this during the initial backing phase, even better, right? I've backed so many games just hoping that the gameplay is good. Mm-hmm. That I can actually play it and, and experience it for myself, even if it's, you know, suboptimal because it's virtual. That's still better than just reading a manual and going, well, it sounds like it might be fun on paper.
1: And and in all honesty, as consumers, we should really like that because one of two things are going to happen. Like if you play a version of the game and realize, oh God, this is actually not very good or not what I wanted. That is, I think, going to result in a better game, hopefully. If the design process works as intended. As
0: long as you provide feedback. And I think that's that's one important thing. Like, if you go and play a prototype or, a, you know, a beta version or whatever, and either you like it or you don't like it, for the love of God, send feedback to the <laughs> publishers. Because otherwise... You're just playing an imperfect version of the game, and they're never going to know how you think they can
3: improve it. Right? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I will say on the flip side of that, don't show videos of you playing a tabletop simulator version of your game to your backers, and then not let them access <laughs> to it. Because, yeah, that's uh, I, uh... Frank. Are you still backing Hell the Last Saga? Uh, yeah, yeah. They've been doing that. <laughs> they they uh, all the uh, gameplay videos have been through tabletop simulator in what looks like a pretty well developed demo instance. <sighs> And all the backers are like, let us play it. They're like, oh, we're working on it. Sure, we'll get around to that eventually. It's like, guys, it's like less than a week before really? this thing ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I looked at that, and it has a lot of the buzzwords that make me think I would like it. The miniatures are gorgeous. Oh my God, but yes. it's one of those things that it says, story-driven is the phrase that's all over the Kickstarter. But it doesn't actually tell you anything about the story. What I wanted to do was compare it to Oathsworn into the Deepwood. Regardless of how good the game looks and the game looks really good, the setting information in the story they provided and the way they engaged their backers in building on that story with fiction and artwork and stuff is what sold me that game. Because if you give me a setting that interests me, I'm there. I might really like Hell, but I will probably never know unless Frank gets a copy and we can meet face-to-face mm-hmm. one day brian at this point i'm pretty sure
2: jason is getting one so okay nope it,
3: yeah. nope i got the frown of disapproval when i approached oh. with it so uh nope oh, that, that's okay. not happening <laughs>
2: oh. yeah and i'm a mine because i want to see how mythic does with that mostly because they haven't finished solomon kane
3: which mm, yeah tell me about know, it
2: which we know the backstory and background of solomon kane which is awesome
3: Frank, as a frequent backer of Mythic Games, I will say this. Be prepared for a 1.5 version about a year and a half after the original one releases. That fixes a lot of the problems.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. And that's another... I have some reservations about that. Speaking of other digital
1: implementations, I did pick up the Humble Bundle from Asmodee that had a bunch of their digital games. I just played Patchwork for the first time, and that game is actually really good.
0: I don't know that one in particular, but I will say that the Asmonee digital implementations have pretty much all been quite solid. They're not blowing anybody's mind with what they do, but they are good implementation of the games. The UI is good. The sound and graphics are good. And that Humble Bundle, which I think has expired by the time this is going to air, Definitely. Um was a really good deal while it lasted if you're at all interested in those digital games.
2: Scythe is a good one player and the AI is just freaking brutal. Hmm. But then the, the Autama AI in the base game was also pretty brutal. So
0: I imagine they're closely related. Yeah. Patchwork
2: is just a I think it's a two player um, it is. yeah. Two spatial
3: player.
1: arrangement. Tetris esque. I don't even really know how to like you're picking up tiles and putting them onto a grid and you have to create like You don't have to create patterns, but you get a bonus points if you create like a seven by seven square and some of the tiles have button icons on them, which is both your production engine for, for the expendable resource, but also is point production, like a really cute little game.
0: So Um, is quilting the new bird watching? Is this the next
1: Wingspan? No,
0: unfortunately. (laughs) Wingspan, I think
1: is the new patchwork and the order that they came out with. I, Uh, yeah. Patchwork is older,
2: yeah.
0: And Wingspan, by the way, the Golden Geek Awards were announced recently, and Wingspan basically won everything.
1: Okay, can we talk about Wingspan for a moment?
4: <laughs> I, I haven't played.
3: I've never played Wingspan either. Oh. Okay. So, so Mike, I just played it for the first time last night. Let's go.
1: <laughs> okay. I Hi, I don't understand why
2: this game is so popular. Birds. That's I, it. Just it birds.
3: And pretty it's little pretty. it's
2: pretty little pastel eggs that look like you can eat them
3: so so (laughs) mechanically how many did you eat (laughs) (laughs) only two Uh,
1: (laughs) the blue ones look especially good they do look like a easter rendition of like m&ms or something like that (laughs) but okay mechanically this game is a engine building point salad game where you are building your engine out of the random pieces Mm -hmm. that you get and it's just like chaos among chaos and i
3: i think it's popularity is really two things mike it is a very easy game to teach and it's very pretty so it gets people interested in trying it so i think it's more the fact that a lot of people have tried it and had a fine time with it Mm -hmm. and it's also not a super cutthroat game right even in its most vicious where you're playing for who gets the most points per round is based off of your placing first second third blah 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 You're not like actively wrecking other people. Like most of the powers are when this person does a thing, you get a thing too. Yay. You're not screwing them over.
0: It seems like a, a very sort of prototypical Euro in that sense. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing and there's no elimination and you're just trying to be the best player you can be without messing with everybody else.
3: It's functionally multiplayer solitaire for the most part. And like, I agree with you that the randomization is ridiculously high and I feel like some of the birds are totally broken, but you may never see those birds since there's like 176 of them or whatever. Courtney got out a, a freaking crow which i think whoever designed this game is in love with crows it's like how could a crow be this powerful there were who doesn't like
2: crows crows uh, what's wrong with you
1: <laughs> yeah everybody get, jump on jason for his crow hating good job yes, I,
4: crow I, apologist I, I,
3: I, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was funny cuz like courtney got out a crow in his first turn that cost like i think two or three resources but they're like one resource and two wild so it isn't isn't that hard to get it was worth like six points, which is quite a lot as a for a bird in that game, because I think they max out at nine. And it had a power where you could toss an egg and get two of whatever resource you wanted. Period. And he just pumped that the entire game, because that's exactly what you should do with that power. Multiple crows came out during the course of the game, and it's like these are all incredibly good compared to every other bird, and I don't <laughs> understand what offsets how good they are for how difficult they are to play. It was really weird. And apparently yeah. ravens are even more broken based on what I saw online. <laughs> well, I mean, ravens are crows on steroids, so. Yeah, totally. <laughs> They're jacked crows.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned the sheer amount of like bird cards they have in that because I'm pretty sure that they just released a expansion. Which yeah,
3: is just European birds. birds. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But those are birds that either other birds, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just,
1: like, I played the game and I feel like I just missed why it was so popular because it didn't strike me. Maybe I'm not the target audience. I'll be more than happy to admit that. But
3: I think it really comes down to the approachability because I think if you look at a lot of those awards, a lot of them are just like, hey, these are games that are solid. They're easy to play, easy to teach. At least that's always been kind of my impression of them.
0: And I will say that we as a group, I think it's fair to say that we fall strongly on the Ameritrash side of the great uh, Ameritrash-Euro divide. I mean, I like a good Euro game, but the stuff that really drives me back to get into is the story-driven, long, cooperative campaign, kind of chunky rules sort of thing. So, it may just not be for us.
1: But That's really (laughs) weird because historically, don't euro games especially like a euro worker placement or a euro point salad game don't they have this odd aversion to like randomness
2: or is that not anymore that's kind of become accepted at the moment and when you go back to older german games that were simpler randomness was a part of those when you get to the really hardcore you know lisboa giant sprawling a lot of those don't have much randomness but i think randomness has crept in
1: Maybe randomness is going to be the injection that Eurogames
2: <laughs> need. Although, onto awards. Kind of trash. Have you seen the nominees for Spiel des Jahres? The big ones, of course, were Kenner Spiel. And two of those are Decru, The Crew, which is, of course, awesome.
0: I've heard and many good things about that.
2: The King's Dilemma, which was... Really? Yeah, totally. Well, cool. And I understand why it's there. I'm actually, oh, and I'm surprised it's there because it's such a thematic, weird game.
4: It is a yeah. weird game. It's a good game, but it's a weird game. It's so.
2: <laughs> I think it's because it's so unique. But yeah, that was a shock because that's very, very Ameritrash and a lot
0: Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Have any of you guys looked at? There's a current Kickstarter called Bullet Heart. It's basically a real-time multiplayer thing where you're pulling these bullet tokens out of a bag. It's basically a simulator of like a bullet hell thing. And basically the bullets come at you and the color that it's in determine what color it's on and the number determines how far down it goes. And if it gets all the way to the bottom of your grid sort of connect four style, It hits you, and then you have all these unique powers that move bullets around and deflect them back at other people. (laughs) It looks bizarre and unique and fascinating. It's got a very anime vibe to the characters.
1: I think I saw some people playing that. It did look
0: bonkers. Who's producing that, Brian? Level 99, isn't it? Yes, it is level 99.
1: Oh, okay. They're they're among... um, Oh, what's the meta card game where you're playing. Millennium a. Blades. Millennium yeah. Blades yeah, totally.
0: I could see that. I could see that. It does have a little bit of huh. that vibe going on. Oh interesting. They're they're currently top on the popular
4: things on Steam tabletop simulator. One
0: of the guys from Penny Arcade tweeted about it yesterday in Got glowing it. terms. So I oh, imagine that has been a bit of a boost for them.
4: Yeah they actually have a they have an early access build up on tabletop simulator that people could try out.
0: Wait, wait, see? Wait. See wait, Kickstarter wait, wait. people?
1: You mean the tabletop simulator might be giving their game a Boost in sales so what? weird
2: so have you guys been looking at any of the other online portals i mean we've been doing board game arena and yukata.de a bit i guess you're staying away from that it's mostly euro games which of course obviously
0: yeah. <laughs> i never really did anything with either of those back in the day i spent a lot of time on uh, what was it brecht yeah which is another german portal but I am of an age where, inexplicably, I'm starting to find Tabletop Simulator easier to use than a lot of those. Oh, okay. Um, Plus, I find it easier to actually be in communication with people I actively want to play with because, just like a Monorpa guy, I don't like playing board games with randos.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. We've been grabbing groups on Zoom and filing onto one of those and just claiming a game and using those as online and doing it real-time. One of the surprises is board game arena has a drop dead amazing version of innovation really? with all the rules so you click on a card and then it starts asking questions of people as to you know which card they want to delete which card they want to hand over it's uh-huh. terrifying
0: wow that's that needs to, <laughs> like i say i haven't looked at those in a long time i'm assuming that most or all of the stuff on there is also not licensed or official in any way
2: uh for board game arena it is very official yukata.de is older and it's one guy who's writing all these games somehow rapidly he's been doing it for longer than anyone and so there's a lot of older euros and weirder things you know i'm a huge fan of attica and attica's there on yukata.de but there's also some stuff like dice forge which is clearly licensed has all the graphics and everything on board game arena has mm-hmm. all the graphics, everything. It's an Asmodee game, I think, and the interface no. is flawless and free. Weird. See, so yeah, a board game arena does have a few games, and generally, the ones to play on there are lighter. Although there's like Through the Ages,
0: which is not lighter, which is not yeah, lighter. Looks like. And yeah,
2: a lot of those Zulkin. kind of yeah, totally in Zolkin. So a lot of pretty good euros. But in that case, you get the full rules pretty decent interface and you can do real-time games they do kind of want you for some games to get an upgraded account but surprisingly not that many okay
0: well we will definitely be putting a bunch of links in this show notes about here are places you can play board games online
1: i don't know if we're ready for this but moving (laughs) away from digital implementations of physical board games joe and i have under Frank's recommendation, recently discovered and been playing For the King.
2: Oh, yeah. We're on our third campaign for that.
0: That's a, that's a fun game.
1: It might as well be an adventure board game where you and two friends can basically move across a hex-based map looking at destinations, fighting bad guys in a turn-based RPG combat system. It's a
2: total JRPG thing, yeah. Really yeah. well done.
4: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like, we've clocked a bunch of hours into it. Uh, It sadly only supports three, which is kind of an awkward number for Mm -hmm. our specific group. But, like, three (laughs) works a lot for a bunch of groups. So Well, and
1: it's it's interesting because, like, man, how many times have we had three people and we're just like, wow, none of our board games are good for three players?
2: Yeah, and one thing about the For the King... I've had some friends who played it just solitaire where you're playing all three characters. Uh As soon as you pile up three people on zoom, you get your own character. You can dress out and change your inventory and deal with your inventory on your own while people are taking their turn. It is strictly turn-based. You get so many hexes of movement. You kind of move, you go into dungeons always together. You want to keep close to your, companions to join them in fights because if someone drops into a fight and you're nearby you'll just be sucked in otherwise they'll be taking that fight alone same with the enemies so you want to worry about who you're fighting there's also i think five campaigns with the game
0: yeah and they're all very different as far as what you're trying to achieve and the kind of things you fight
2: it's really well put together just a ton of fun.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's a classic board game functionally, right? Yeah. except for the combat, yeah. which is classic JRPG, right? So.
2: Actually, even the board game combat, because you're rolling percentile dice essentially, depending That's on like, your weapon dice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is really structured like a board game more than anything I think I've seen in a while.
0: And it's interesting because we are at a point now where we're seeing a fair number of video games that are basically board games. Tharsis is the one I was thinking of, which is basically a solitaire kind of survival board game, but you're literally rolling and placing dice to determine what your crew are doing in space to try and put out fires and keep enough food on the table.
1: Is that the one where your ship is just falling apart? Like, you're basically playing Space Alert by yourself?
0: Yeah, more or less. Okay. Uh Everything about it says that it's a board game, except that it only exists on PC. But uh, it's a fun little game. Really hard, as you might imagine. And I feel like this is a time when I should be playing a lot of solitaire games, because as we've established in previous episodes, I enjoy solitaire games. I just, I haven't. I mean, I've been playing a lot of solitaire PC games. I mean, there's this new DLC out for Civilization VI, so I'll put some time in on that. I don't know. I I feel like this would be the perfect time for me to clear off a bunch of table space and play Seventh Continent with the new expansion stuff, and I just haven't. And I'm not sure why.
4: It's interesting. It's like uh, Shut Up and Sit Down has been doing uh, hey, here's the best print and play solo games that are currently out Mm -hmm. right now. And like that list has been pretty interesting. Like some of them have been, have sounded pretty intriguing, you know, not quite intriguing enough for me to actually do it. Yeah, print and play seems like a lot of work. (laughs) Yep. But, you know, it's very interesting, right, to hear them kind of talk about like, hey, here's the options that you have in essence.
0: And we should do something like that. We should be responsible board game podcasters and tell people about things they don't know about.
4: Yeah, sounds like a lot of
0: work. Yeah, you're not wrong. Besides those guys do a real good job.
4: Not our stick. Our stick is talking about random nonsense.
0: Yes, pretty much and we're good at that.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I hope somebody's taking something away from this because like Brian, I just went and looked at Tharsis. So I was like, oh yeah, I don't own that game, so purchased
0: there you go. So yeah, we're doing the best we can with what we have. so we probably shouldn't go too deep into the video game side of the house. Uh, since we are ostensibly a board game podcast. I was going to briefly detour into something else that isn't board games, which is role-playing games. (laughs) Because the one bright side for the coronavirus situation, at least for me, is that a lot of our role-playing games, while they've moved to a virtual format, have been meeting a lot more frequently because people don't have other conflicts on their calendars because they can't go anywhere. Well... All conflicts have been canceled.
1: You say that until literally all of the rpg sessions that have been built up over the course of years that meet like every other week or once a month suddenly all of them have condensed and now want to meet every
0: week which creates more conflicts so you're saying that you're not playing any more role-playing games because you're playing too many role-playing games well, I'm currently in one and a half role-playing game campaign, so I don't really have that problem, but I could see that people who do it more would. But What's I mean, like half? it's a and d campaign I've been doing with some Malifo friends that was meeting roughly every few weeks beforehand, and we have just done nothing since the... Uh, mm-hmm. We're talking about getting back up on, on an online meeting, but we haven't done it yet. D&D sure. is certainly a lot more... Or can be a lot more tactical, so um, I think just a Zoom meeting isn't necessarily going to do it. We'd need something like Roll Twenty.
4: Yeah, Roll Twenty works fine though.
0: I haven't used it at all, and I don't know that our DM has either. But we'll we're certainly looking
4: at it. There's it a bit really of a well uh, yeah. There's a bit of a spin-up. Like you got a much like tabletop simulator. There's a bunch of controls and commands that you got to figure out. So, but once you get going, it's totally cromulant.
2: Okay. Yeah, we finished our Call of Cthulhu campaign. The other good pulp campaign, by the way, um, <laughs> is uh, the Twin-Headed Serpent, which is almost as good as Mask of Nyarlathotep in some ways.
0: Which is the one that Joe and Mike and I are, are in the process of finishing up. Yeah,
2: and it's actually written for the 7th edition pulp rules, which you're probably using for masks. We are, yeah. Yeah, totally. But then we dropped into Silent Titans, or getting ready to start Numenera. And we've been playing once or sometimes twice a week with the group, which is a little weird because we don't have any kind of tactical combat. So Mm -hmm. that's it. And we're done. I mean, there's no prep, no complexity, except for, you know, one person has trouble with his internet connection. So whenever any of us turn on video, it's, uh.
0: Yeah. We're finishing up masks and I'm getting ready to start up a Coriolis campaign, which I'm excited about. Ooh, pretty. Yeah. So that should be neat.
4: On Saturdays
0: during the day, we just
4: started playing Avernus. Watsy has done a really awesome job supporting Roll Twenty. All of their big box book implementations are available. You can purchase them for a discounted rate on Roll Twenty, and it has literally all the art assets. Like when we started playing yesterday, right? Because yesterday was our first session. We did character creation. Friends, like, hey, you want to know about Baldur's Gate? Let me share with you fifteen different things that they added to Roll Twenty that describe Baldur's gate and all the setting information about Baldur's gate so you can go peruse it as you wish and so they've done a really good job of including functionally everything a gm needs there was no startup besides figuring out how some of the dynamic lighting stuff works otherwise it's worked out really well
2: our intermediate game was interesting because uh, it was called silent titans and this uh is based on a set of rules called into the odd which is the most stripped rule set i've ever seen functionally it's got like three stats and you pretty much roll d20 under your stat for success but the weird part is like for hits in combat you automatically hit you just do damage same with the monsters which is an how scary moment and people imagine and people don't have that many hit points but silent titans is then on top of that a crazy weird screwed up surreal world with these giant buried titans which are effectively dungeons that you go inside the Titans and then throw in just a giant bucket of weirdness character creation. You get, basically you roll your stats and you get some character background and weapons. And so it takes about two minutes to roll up a character. If that, you do have a pretty high death rate. We did have one character that's basically lady Jane gray, but a theme park robot. (laughs) Also, if you look at silent Titans, The art is jaw-dropping, so I did have to use an overhead webcam to be able to pop up the maps of the dungeon. And literally, we played on the maps of the dungeon. I just handed it to him up front, because then when you look at it, you go, what the hell is that?
1: Oh, got it. Is it like isometric artwork?
2: Yes, all of it. so weird. Old school. Oh, totally old school. Yeah, it's a very old school kind of thing. And very, very weird. I mean, you look at it and you think, well, that's kind of weird. Not much weirder than that.
1: <laughs> okay. Over the past month or two, I have discovered that digital role-playing is just not for me. Like, unfortunately, as much as I love sitting down at a table and role-playing with my friends, that doing it at a computer provides way too many distractions. And it just, there's something missing that just doesn't make it the same as playing at the table. Like, it's it's great. We're doing what we can with what we've got during these trying times. But ah, I don't know, like, I Mike, have not quite Mike gotten into it as much as some of my friends have. You know, oh. It has nothing to do with hating my friends. It just, it's not a thing. I am not the kind of person that can not multitask. And yeah,
4: well, Mike, to be fair, looking at all the people, You're the person who I think has the most games that became weekly that used to not ever make.
1: (laughs) Yeah, when Brian mentioned that he had one and a half RPG sessions, I did a quick count, and I got up to seven before I was just like, I'm done counting now. Yeah,
4: you have too many, and now that they're all happening all the time, it's a little too much for you. Yeah, you may have reached capacity. You know, we're starting to suffer a little bit of fatigue in terms of how fast the mass games has been going just because we're used to running once a month from a prepping standpoint. Now we're running once a week and that's way different. John was like, Oh my God. He was like, Hey, I'm doing more work for this than my actual job yeah there's a lot of things going on in massive (laughs) prep so yeah i
1: had i had three monthly rpg sessions that all tried to collapse down into weekly sessions and i was just like nope i can't do this which has caused me to pull out of a couple of the um games temporarily permanently who knows But it's just one of those things where even if I had fewer, it doesn't feel the same.
0: Oh, it's definitely not the same. Don't get me wrong. And it is tough because when you were sitting in front of a computer, which is an infinite source of information and distraction, it's tough to stay focused.
4: Yeah, it requires a lot more commitment from all the players to stay focused. It's easy to say, oh, everybody, put down your cell phones, right? You know, it's it's easy Mm -hmm. to kind of monitor in some ways, right? It's easy to make sure everyone's being honest when they're like, hey, yeah, I'm not doing that thing it's a lot harder when you're online
1: not to put a total downer i have enjoyed the mass campaign we've gotten to the i think climactic action of the campaign and i'm really digging it i like some of the themes that it is putting forth and i'm not gonna lie once again visiting my obsession with arkham horror because how could i not (laughs) like i keep looking i'm like oh this would make a great arkham horror lcg scenario so
0: Yeah, Mike has now discovered all the tools he needs to build his own characters and is now going deep down that rabbit hole.
1: Well, so that's another way that people can interact with board games and RPGs during coronavirus, like become creators of content, y'all. One thing I'm really excited about Avernus is just getting back to straight up D&D, which of all of my campaigns that I'm currently playing, I've got two that are currently 5e.
0: I continue to like 5e. I wonder if this might be a good time for all playing perspective to do one shots rather than campaigns, do little short tastes of a system, a setting, a world, rather than trying to sustain that level of concentration and storytelling for a long time.
3: I know uh, D&D Beyond just posted up like a tiny little mini campaign for free that you can run during the coronavirus outbreak. I've got a a friend who's running that right now.
2: Okay. (laughs) Although that Lost Mine of Phandelver set. You know, the original 5e starter set was amazing. You know, first through fifth level, you got enough rules, starter characters, explained how to level up through fifth level, and the campaign was extremely easy to run. You can run it as a one-shot, but there's enough there to keep going for a while, even in that box. It was, I think, one of the best, probably the best starter set ever made.
1: Now, I will say, using Roll20, one of the things that I kind of was thinking about as a DM is, man... This is a really useful tool if I am planning on running a thing multiple times. Because, like Joe said, you can set up a bunch of art assets. You can do a bunch of programming to include like music and stuff like that. You can make macros that will automate some of it. And I could see for things like, what are those things we used to have for a bunch of geeks would all come together? Convention.
0: Conventions, play. <laughs> yeah.
1: For convention play, this would be really helpful From a DM standpoint, and could be some interesting, like virtual conventions that are starting to pop up as a result of coronavirus.
2: Although for one-shots and short RPG games, I did read that folks that did Spectaculars and Dusk City Heroes are creating tabletop simulator support for Spectaculars and Dusk City Heroes. Oh,
0: cool, because Dusk City Outlaws is...
2: Dusk City Outlaws, thank you.
0: Yeah, He's great for one-shot games. I mean, yeah. it's literally you pick a faction, you pick a character class, go. It's really fun to play and to run, so that's good to hear. We played that right before all this happened, right? That was a fun game. It is a fun game. And the new one, Spectacular, is a superhero one. Looks like it's more campaign-driven, because it's basically, uh, here are four sort of free-written campaigns that you and the players sort of fill in the blanks on. You know, who is the major evil corporation? Who's the professor who knows too much kind of thing?
2: I bet it only really works as a campaign. Unlike yeah. Dust City Outlaws.
0: Yeah, there are campaign rules for Dust City Outlaws, but I don't know how well they work, because it works so well as a one-shot. <laughs> Yeah, it
3: looked, like, not super great when I took a glance at it. If you play like my group, everyone dies anyway, so you're not going to continue the characters anymore. <laughs> well, anyhow. sure.
1: You know what Dusty Outlaws reminded me of? Years and years ago, my gaming group had tried out this print-and-play RPG that was a 1950s space adventure a la Buck Rogers, where uh-huh. the character creation process was... Pick an adjective and a noun and slam them together and that's your character. So you can be like alien heroine or robot sidekick or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then you just go. And the game was played using post-it notes. So all of the (laughs) locations that you could visit were just words written on a post-it note. So like Planet X is a post-it note. And then on Planet X is a mysterious alien. And just, it was a really weird Cool, funky game that I've always wanted to revisit, but that was exactly what Dusty Heroes reminded me of. I would love to play a superhero version of that.
0: Yeah, like I say, that one is more campaign driven, but I have it and it's on the list. Although I am thinking of one great one shot RPG that you really can't play over any kind of remote thing, and that would be Dread. Uh, I bet you they
4: have a tabletop simulator implementation of
0: Dread. It's not the same. <laughs> You can't play Jenga right on Tabletop Simulator. It's a
2: physics sim. You totally it's a physics simulation. Yeah,
0: but uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I disagree. I, I mean, that's, that's where real. I draw the line in digital play.
4: How dare the, you? I think the real <laughs> problem
1: you would have is the, the controls, I don't think, are quite good enough for that. Because you can't really, like, push objects in Tabletop Sim or pull on them.
3: Yeah, you can flick them, which seems like a real bad idea. <laughs> that may be suboptimal.
1: Oh, man. Now I want to do a campaign of dread where the only interaction you can have with the tower is
4: flicking. <laughs> probably a really short game. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs>
0: I'm not sure how much else we have to contribute here unless anybody has any cool board game news or, or other stuff they want to talk about. Any Kickstarters that you're really excited about that we haven't already mentioned?
3: Oh, uh, well, I got some that I actually, poor Courtney has been my prisoner. <laughs> <all this> <laughs> we're playing currently a campaign of Tainted Grail. We're about six chapters in, so it's you about monster. halfway point. Yeah, sorry, Someday Charlie. I will have some of that. <laughs> I, we're really enjoying it. Um, It's not easy. <laughs> I'll say that. But the story has been pretty entertaining. And I think we finally hit a, a good stride. So that's been great. Uh, I've been really enjoying that. We talked about Mythic Games earlier. One of their previous Kickstarters was a game called Reich Busters Project Vril, which was very reminiscent of V Commandos, which is actually why I ended up backing it. And the whole concept there is you're 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 playing like a squad of allied soldiers that are way over the top. Then sure. it's not like V Commandos where they're trying to be somewhat realistic. Like these are people that do crazy nonsense. The first phase of the game is sneaking into a uh, German base and collecting the dossier or freeing this prisoner or assassinating this person. And each round, mm-hmm. it, it gets closer and closer to an alarm, which could happen sooner if you generate too much noise. And as soon as the arm phase goes, all the enemies spawn and it just becomes you versus the German army as you try to just <laughs> run out of the, off the board. We played a raid of it and I really enjoyed it. It was very, very tight. We had a casualty. He was surrounded by things called frill Panzers, which are basically German mechs. <laughs> mm-hmm. and. Uh, he didn't make it but the rest of us did so it was great <laughs> from
2: what i've looked at that it looked a little tedious and long for the missions uh, so- it wasn't bad oh. i
3: was surprised with like teaching the rules it was about two hours so it wasn't as bad as i was expecting oh that's not bad at all yeah yeah I feel like the raids are probably the longest version of the game because it's literally like you put together a random map, a random goal, a random enemy generator. I will say the setup's pretty long because it's like find all these tiles, find all these soldiers, find all these cards, find all these tokens. But so the, just game the kind itself of game was- you like. yeah um but the actual playing of it like the turns were fun because like your characters only have two actions and they can't shoot or move twice but they have a handful of cards and the cards give them additional actions so it's like well i could murder all these guys in this room before they detect me but then i won't have any cards for when i need to use this card to run away later on so it's like there's a lot of trade-offs that made it really interesting to me
4: interesting i'm interested in
3: trying that at some point in the future Sure. I'd like to play Rockbusters, you guys. I think you'd enjoy it. I didn't feel it was as punishingly difficult as V Commandos was, because I, I seem to recall we got murdered pretty quickly in that one. <laughs> yeah, we only played it one time, though. So
4: true. That game requires, I think, a little bit of learning the system before you
3: can make the best decisions. Mm-hmm. Are you guys familiar with the commands and colors game system, like Memoir Forty Four? Play uh, uses it in a couple other games. I've heard you mention it a number of times. I am not. Hyper familiar with it? Well, there's a space combat version of it called Red Alert Space Fleet Warfare from Plastic Soldier Company that I also kickstarted a while ago, and I finally suckered Courtney into playing that one too. But it's basically a giant hex-based map that's like a bed sheet. It's so big and uh, tons and tons of minis, so of course that's why I backed it. But it's an interesting combination of hand management where you've got a handful of orders that you can order your ships around with and attack cards that you can power with this resource, stars. And combat's resolved by just rolling dice, and certain colors slash shapes hit enemy ships. And depending on how big the ship is, it might be able to shrug off a certain number of hits from smaller ships. So like uh, your capital ship isn't going to take the first damage from a fighter shooting at it. But if it takes two damage from a fighter, it'll take a hit. And we got to play that, and that was fun because it's a lot of balancing. Okay, I could activate this group and get them into position, or I could use this card that activates all of this type of ship all across the board because they split the map into three quadrants that you play cards that says three ships in the center quadrant can activate and two ships on the right flank can activate. So there's a lot of trying to figure out. It's very tactical versus strategic. It's got sort of the battle lore kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think battle lore might be a commands and colors game, isn't it? Battle lore
2: originally was, then they drifted the battle lore second edition and went to its own system. But yeah, the original was a uh,
0: command and colors
3: Memoir 44, that whole... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yep. I had played Minimora 44 years and years ago, so I didn't really remember much of it, but it plays very similarly. There were some people complaining that it wasn't different enough, but I'm like, I just want spaceships, so I don't really care (laughs) if it's different from the original game all that much. It was fun. We had a good time with it. Again, kind of a pain to put it all together because just a regular scenario is like, all right, put out 26 ships, and I hadn't assembled them yet, so I had to put them on their little bases and glue them together. But that's done now, so I don't have to do it ever again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then um, I've just been getting a deluge of Kickstarter showing up, It is harvest season, yeah. Yeah. Frank, I don't know. Did you back any more of the Edge stuff? for the sequel Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. So I got that. Okay, yeah. Mine showed up too. Haven't even given it a look other than to make sure nothing was broken. Looks impressive. And then uh, Too Many Bones splice and dice showed up on Friday. So I can't wait to get that one out on the board. Well, that's, that's fun.
0: Yeah, I got news that my stuff had shipped. I mean, the main thing I ordered from the latest Kickstarter was the vault, which of course oh. is going to take longer to be ready. So basically I'm oh, getting yeah. a character,
3: which is fine. <laughs> Did you see the, the latest video though, Brian? I haven't watched it yet. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, it's going to be insane
0: they're losing so much money on that thing i can only imagine
1: (laughs) (laughs) which one is this it's called the vault
3: yeah it's the big storage box for uh yeah yeah (laughs) like they have magnetic uh, handles to pull each of the drawers out and like it's a reinforced steel (laughs) frame stupid bullshit yeah it's gonna be ludicrous i
1: I feel like at this point it might become it's gonna become like the star system with it they'll keep promising more and more stuff and eventually,
0: it come out. Yeah, eventually, the factory with assembly was just going to collapse into a singularity because of the mass of all the things. One other game that I kind of discovered recently, and I haven't been able to get a physical copy because it's like between editions, and I have poked around with it on Tabletop Simulator, but I don't really grok it yet. There is a game called Sidereal Confluence. Oh, yes. Which is oh, this wow. yeah. bizarre, asymmetrical... Cube pushing trading game where you're all these spacefaring civilizations that have and want completely different things, and you're all just kind of generating different kinds of cubes and pushing them back and forth and trading with each other. But it looks just kind of nuts, so I kind of want to try it in a vaguely masochistic uh, kind of way.
2: Agreed, and let me know if we get back to physical. I do have a physical copy because that's I do like that kind of sprawling, weird game. And I yes, mean, I have one.
0: Yeah, the one on Tabletop Simulator looks reasonably well implemented, oh, I think.
2: God, that'd be rough. It's really, I think, wants to be played in person.
0: Probably, because you have to figure out what people have so you can trade for it.
2: And there's so much information in that game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's all real
2: time. Yeah, exactly. Trading's all real time, yeah.
0: I kind of wonder how much you could even do, because I mean, at least in the first game, I feel like I'm just trying to figure out what my engine does. Yeah, right.
3: You kind of undersold it. It is officially called Sidereal Confluence Trading and Negotiation in the Elysian Quadrant. Well, yes, it's the most complicated and ridiculous name ever in the history of board games. <laughs> I'm was down Zev- to try, so... What
2: was Zev thinking? Yeah, that's a really weird one.
0: I also love that all of the faction names are, like, literally unpronounceable by human Oh, bones.
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just... Two other kind of RPG things we've gotten into that play well remotely... We've been doing at least a few sessions of Parsley. Parsley is a Zork, the Mm role-playing game. There's an entire book as well as Action Castle 4 was just released. I saw that. And that's basically Zork. One person plays the computer. Everyone else just take turns entering two-word commands and collectively try to move their character around. It's more party game than RPG. We actually play it with uh, an overhead webcam so that one person can draw down the map as they're playing. So generally, that actually works perfectly well.
0: Yeah, I like that. I used to run one of those every year at the Oasis of Fun, and I will hopefully do so again when there is another Oasis of Fun to do it at. Those are super fun. I like the idea of doing it with a webcam that, I don't know, I almost feel like that would be too easy because then everyone could see the map and not have to constantly yell at each other. No, it was west of here.
2: We also did. Escape Tales, which is on Tabletopia, which is a literally kind of one of those card paragraph book escape adventure games. It's free on Tabletopia, but it's got the books and the full content of the game there. And that's actually pretty playable because there's not a lot of manipulation. It's cooperative, although there are a lot of cards to shuffle between, so you have to go through some effort to sort out specific cards. The last would be Cthulhu Confidential, Mm. which is a uh, Pelgrin Press who does um, Trails of Cthulhu and uh, of Cthulhu, Black Agents, yeah. They have a, a pair of games which are designed for one-on-one role-playing, and they did all of their play testing for that game using Zoom and teleconferencing. It's more like a guided paragraph game, because really when you sit down and play it, you're given a character and an adventure with a specific set of roles, reactions, and when you make a roll, there are often specific cards which you hand to the other player to basically put a limitation on future actions, but is tied to the very specific circumstance they're involved in. There are a couple of quick starts for it, which you could just pull down and go. But even then, the base game has a simple set of rules and like five or six adventures.
0: Interesting. <laughs> I'll have to take a look at that.
2: But again, one on one.
0: So, other than that, I guess all we have at this point is to say, everybody stay safe wash your dang hands and we'll be back with probably a somewhat more normal episode next month we'll still be recording remotely but we'll at least have something specific to talk about as always if you want to have input on what that is feel free to go to ascendedboardgames.com take a look at the future episode survey tell us what you like reviews on iTunes are always great comments on
1: tell us what you've been doing how have you been staying sane and board gaming?
0: Have you been staying sane? If, have you been going mad? If so, write us a cryptic eldritch tome that we'll have to decipher, and then we can go mad ourselves. It'll be great. It'll we make do, Mike extremely happy. We yes. do love escape puzzles. So. <laughs> that is one of the that I've done a couple of with various friends is uh, virtual escape rooms. There's one that was basically, here are a bunch of lame puzzles to solve online, and that was disappointing. But there are a number now that are basically, you get a group together, you sign up for an escape room slot, and there is basically a GM with a body cam on that basically acts as your eyes and hands. As you do stuff and you tell them what... It actually works amazingly well. There's one that we did just recently from a place that's just called The Escape Game. The room we played was actually in Nashville. And the effects and props and stuff are out of this world. They have a location in Atlanta that we're definitely going to go to when life reopens again.
3: Oh, is that the one with the battery? Yeah. Yeah, that place is great.
1: There is a student-based company that does escape puzzles called breakout edu and during this whole thing they've actually been releasing daily browser-based puzzles for students so if you've got a a kid at home who likes that sort of critical thinking definitely check some of those out i think they're even started giving away like fabulous prizes
0: and there's a site called Squonkland, and i'll put a link because that's going to be a pain to spell but basically it's one guy who is doing small kind of puzzle driven almost parsley type games in real time for small groups so uh, I haven't done it myself yet but friend of the show Sean has highly recommended it. Come back again next month, talk to us in the interim, let us know what you're interested in and we'll be back soon. Bye everybody. Bye. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompitech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening.
4: I'll fix it in post. Yeah, that's not how any of that works.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll just click the make sound good button. It'll be fine.